on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Wednesday, July 6, 2022. Sudan's military leader, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, fired the civilian members of the country's sovereign council. We strongly support all steps that lead to political stability in the country. In my opinion, the elections are the only way to determine the fate of all those who are contesting for power in this country. And the Vatican Secretary of State who is visiting South Sudan says the Catholic Church stands in solidarity with the war-weary people of South Sudan. I have seen uh, the, the signs of the war uh, and the bishop was telling me about uh, the many damages the world has produced in this territory. And after that, when maybe the situation was almost able to return to to the normality, the flood. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Sudan's military leader, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, relieved five civilian members of the joint collegial presidency, the Sovereign Council, as he plans to dissolve it. This after al-Burhan announced on Monday that the military would step back from government to allow the formation of a civilian-led government. Al-Burhan did not give an explanation of his decision to sack the five officials. One of the relieved members welcomed the decision and hopes it will bring stability in the country. Michael Atit reports for VOA from Khartoum. In a decree issued last night, General Al-Burhan fired Rajani Kola Abdul Masih, Yusuf Jad Karim Muhammad, Abdul Ghassim Muhammad Bartam, Abdul Bagi Abdul Ghadir Zubair, and Salma Abdul Jabbar Al Mubarak. The five civilian members of the Sudanese Sovereign Council were appointed to their post in November last year, days after Al-Burhan staged a military coup on the civilian government in Sudan. The council was comprised of five military officials five civilians and three members from the armed groups which signed the Juba peace deal. Speaking to this program in Khartoum, Bartam welcomed the move, describing it as a serious beginning for implementing the separation of power sharing between the military and civilians. We strongly support all steps that lead to political stability in the country. In my opinion, the elections are the only way to determine the fate of all those who are contesting for power in this country. I call on all the political parties and elites to be responsible and create a political base in which ideas, programs and projects freely compete. They should denounce hate speech and all forms of violence. On Monday, Al-Burhan announced the suspension of the military component in UN and AU-sponsored talks to make room for civilian leaders and revolutionary movements to form a transitional government in Sudan. Al-Burhan said once the executive government is formed, the sovereign council will be dissolved and a supreme council of the armed forces will be formed to assume the supreme command of the regular forces and be responsible for security and defense tasks. Nuruddin Mohiddin, a member of the Forces for Freedom and Change Coalition, or FFC, says Burhan's announcement means nothing to the revolution. 
Musab Muhammad Ali, a political lecturer at Al Nilen University in Khartoum, says even though Burhan's announcement was roundly criticized, the civilian political parties should use this opportunity to prepare the nation for elections. The situation in Sudan at the moment is so complicated due to a lack of trust among the political components in the country. This makes the public doubt the recent decision made by Al-Bruhan. But I think this decision can still build a new political process and allow the country to go for elections at the end of the transitional period. Pro-democracy groups in the capital Khartoum and across the country have continued with their protests, rallies and sit-ins over the past six days, demanding a return to a civilian rule in Sudan. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. The visiting Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Pietro Parolin, says the Catholic Church stands in solidarity with the war-weary people of South Sudan. Cardinal Parolin was in Unity State earlier today where he visited an internally displaced persons camp in Bentiu. While in Juba on Tuesday, Parolin met with President Salva Kiir and delivered a message from Pope Francis in which the pontiff asked Mr. Kiir to make peace and reconciliation a reality in the largely divided country. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar reports from Juba. This morning, thousands of people gathered at the Bentiu Airstrip to welcome Cardinal Pietro Parolin to a town that had been a battleground for four years, between 2014 and 2018. Women spread colorful bedsheets on the dusty, muddy ground for Cardinal Parolin to step over as a way of welcoming him to the war-torn town on his second day in South Sudan. Speaking to reporters after his arrival, the second most powerful person in the Vatican said the effects of war are still visible in the area. I have seen uh, the, the signs of the war, uh, and the bishop was telling me about uh, uh, the many damages uh, the world uh, has produced uh, in this uh, territory. And after that, uh, when uh, maybe the situation was uh, almost uh, able to return to, to the normality, the flood, the flood that affected this, uh, this area. And the uh, will of the Catholic Church to help uh, in any way is possible just uh, to bring uh, uh, hope uh, to the population, then uh, this is uh, this is the, the meaning of this of this visit. Bente was the scene of intense fighting during the conflict between government and rebel forces. 
The town changed hands several times between 2014 and 2018, forcing many people to flee their homes and seek safety at the United Nations run protection of civilian side. Cardinal Paralin says he came to Bentio to bring the blessing of the Holy Father. Also the solidarity of the church, which is expressed through the diocese, through the bishops and through the priests and all the agents, pastoral agents of the diocese toward this population, which was really struck by, by the, the war. Parolin arrived in Juba yesterday after visiting the Democratic Republic of Congo. While in the capital, Parolin met with President Salva Kiir and delivered a message from Pope Francis. Barnaba Marial, South Sudan's minister in the office of the president, described the meeting between the Secretary of State and Mr. Kiir as wonderful. His Eminence, the Secretary of State of the State of Vatican, had a wonderful conversation with His Excellency uh, President Salva Kiir Mayadi. His Eminence, the Secretary of State, was able to bring the message of his Holy Father, the Pope, uh, to the President of the Republic and all the people of South Sudan, which is unity, peace, and reconciliation. On April 11, 2019, Francis kissed the feet of Kir and First Vice President Riyak Machar during a two-day spiritual retreat at the Vatican, calling the event a pilgrimage for peace. The pontiff tied the former rivals to implement the 2018 peace deal. Three years later, the United Nations says South Sudan leaders are still dragging their feet on the implementation of key provisions in the agreement, such as the graduation of necessary unified forces, the permanent constitution-making process, and a roadmap for free and fair elections. Parolin says he reminded the president of what the Pope told him in 2019. We recall uh, his visit uh, to the Vatican and uh, the message the Holy Father delivered to him in that occasion. The Holy Father said uh, there will be all, always difficulty, but we have to go forwards uh, and to solve them with, with, with goodwill just to, to achieve that unity, peace and reconciliation. Parolin says the lack of development in South Sudan only leads to the possibility of new conflicts in the country. Parolin replaced Pope Francis on his trip to Africa as the Pope recovers from a health condition. For VOA News, I'm Anyang David Mayor in Juba. Listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. The whole of this week, we will run special feature stories, vox pops, and interviews on how some South Sudanese feel 11 years after their country gained independence. Some South Sudanese say health services have been characterized by a limited number of facilities, a shortage of drugs, and a lack of manpower during the 11 years of the country's independence. Some citizens across the country blame the government for not investing in the health sector. Dengai Deng reports for VOA from Juba. 
Juba resident Ruben Maud says when then Southern Sudan gained its independence from Sudan on July 9, 2011, he had hopes the government would use South Sudan's oil revenues to build key institutions like the health sector. Maud says 11 years later, his hopes for better services have not materialized. Our hope uh, has been that uh, if we get uh, independence in South Sudan, there will be change, especially in the health sector. But it has been more than 10 years now and there is no change in health sector. We have hoped that, uh, that uh, if uh, uh, there would have been a change, then people would have not even uh, struggled to go up to Khartoum for, for treatment. There is no change in the health sector, especially the services that uh, the governments are giving in terms of uh, uh, the equipment that are needed in the hospital, in terms of medications which are supposed to be Uh, provided to the patients uh, to serve the needs of people, they are not there in the hospital. And this is what we hope, that if we get the independence in South Sudan, there will be change. But it's still now there's no yet a change. Mahu says most South Sudanese have been dying from preventable diseases simply because of the country's weak health care system. He says professional doctors, nurses and other health workers have opted for greener pastures due to low pay. Doctors, especially in the government hospital, they are prescribing some drug which cannot be even afforded by the citizens and it has affected most of the, the citizens. They are also being referred to uh, expensive uh, hospital in different countries, especially the neighboring countries of which they cannot manage. So most of the people, they are dying now because there is no good treatment here in our country and uh, if they are referred they cannot uh, manage to to travel to neighboring countries Joseph Deng, a resident of Awil in the northern Vahar al-Ghazali state says lack of life-saving medicines equipped maternal health facilities are major concerns in his town. Deng says women and children have continued to die due to a lack of good hospitals South Sudan got independence in 2011 and up to today there were a lot of expectations in terms of the health services. One of the expectations was to have the improved men in uh, delivery of the health services to the people in the remote villages. Today, many women in South Sudan die monthly or daily basis due to lack of basic health services to the places they live in. You find the maternity wards are not established in the places where they are supposed to be. You find that most of the hospitals do not have the blood bank. And when a person falls into a problem, like somebody who needs blood transfusions, it is always hard. It is always hard to get that. And this one had led to many deaths in South Sudan the death that could have been prevented. Nyalweth Gabriel, a resident of Town in Jonglei State, says multiple challenges from natural disasters, conflicts, and insecurity have caused mental disorders to many South Sudanese. But there are no mental health facilities in the country. Women in conflict, women are the ones killed. Some of them are the ones abducted. Their children, their sons, their daughters are abducted. So it really causes too much trauma, emotional trauma, or psychological trauma most of the time. And in fact, sometimes you find a woman, she's sheltering under the tree with her children. 
nowhere to like if it rains again she has nowhere to go with them so this is too much for women in Botswana. In April this year, the World Health Organization released a report about the prevalence of communicable diseases, including neglected tropical diseases, which constitute a significant public health concern in South Sudan. The report also raised concerns about mental health disorders, particularly in women, children and adolescents. The South Sudan Minister of Health, Yolanda Awil, admits the health system has been in a bad shape since the country's independence in 2011. Awil says the government has invested in security and the implementation of peace agreement, leaving health sector underfunded. Health status in South Sudan is very fragile due to human-made and natural disasters. But everyone in the health sector is doing their best to improve it. We have relied heavily on Dondam Fund because of the health system that we inherited from the Sudan during 2011. That was weak. So any hiccups in the, in the country set the system back a few steps. 11 years after South Sudan independence, non-governmental organizations have taken the lead in providing much-needed services across the country. The health sector relies heavily on international organizations and UN agencies for intervention. Government healthcare facilities lack essential or basic prescription drugs. The health sector is allocated just 2% of the country's budget and relies on development assistance for more than 70% of its total health expenditure. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiden in Juba. The Secretary General of the Sudan People's Liberation Movement for the U.S. National Secretariat says South Sudanese should be patient as the Kiir administration works to find the best way to implement the 2018 peace agreement. Lado Artema says the expectations of South Sudanese who are yearning for services cannot be met due to various challenges in the country. The situation that went bad is not really tied to one particular item. There were so many things. One is there was so much expectations of what would happen in terms of employment, in terms of opportunities that would be availed with the independence of South Sudan. Unfortunately, there was so much expectation placed on a government that was established, a small government that was still fresh in South Sudan with little resources to provide all that the people wanted. And as such, people started uh, having questions, you know. Uh, some people started having a political opinions as to how things should have been done, how things should have not been done, what they expected out of that government. Um, uh, I would like to touch briefly on what went wrong recently. Political disagreement that unfortunately went and uh, uh, took on a bad dimension and resulted in a military confrontation. So the military confrontation again gave birth to other factions, other groups that were dissatisfied for one reason or another, and they also took up arms against the government. As such, then violence continued. Let me put the question differently. What should have been done to avoid South Sudan getting entangled into a protracted conflict? What should have been done differently? I think uh, there's not really one solution to that, but I think what could have been done differently is provision of a space where everyone participates. 
Um, uh, we, who, who is supposed to provide that space? I think all of us, the government and all partners, including the international community. We establish a nation, and uh, we have to have that window to dialogue among ourselves. Even if you disagree with the government, you have to have also create for yourself that space to speak out to the government and present the problems so the government can actually respond and address them. If you don't have that window of communication and you run out and uh, defect and form a global movement, then uh, then there's no uh, dialogue. And if there's no dialogue, how do we resolve the problem? But how do you create a space in a place, in a country where freedom of expression is quote-unquote, a crime? I think in any other country um, that we know, definitely there are laws governing expressions, there are laws governing uh, um, lives in general. If you are calling for a destruction of a nation, any country, you make a statement threatening the government in power, you uh, uh, make statements of, or you plan for a coup, for example, in any nation, definitely you will have that, that freedom will not be respected. But if you are talking non-violently, presenting your rights through the parliaments that are there, state parliaments and, and national parliament that is that's over there, those are voices of the people. That is where you present the problem. But if you threaten the government in power through an armed rebellion, for example, then uh, the issue of freedom of expression in this point is questionable. Eladu, it's a common knowledge that in South Sudan, the state and the national parliament are all made up of people who are appointed. Most of the time, the appointed members of parliament are loyal to the appointing authority, not the people they represent. How would you expect them to speak out? <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Thank you for that question, brother. It's true. Well, if you look at, if you look at uh, even the establishment of the government of South Sudan, there was no election right away because we evolved from a rebel movement into a nation. Therefore, the powers that were there, so those appointments were done in order to establish a government. So therefore, we cannot have a parliament without appointment because there was no country called South Sudan before independence. And so the appointed people are loyal to the appointing authority as opposed to the people they represent. If we don't appoint people, there will be no government. There will be no nation. All right. That's, do, you, that's, do you agree on that? That's, if we that's, don't appoint people, there will be no government. That, that's, a, that's a discourse that can be, you know, is subjective. But at this point, what I'm trying to say is the people of South Sudan that voted for independence have not enjoyed the fruit of their struggle. Correct. To some extent. And if you're given an opportunity to speak to the people, what would you tell them? I would tell them do not lose hope. The SPLM party, the SPLM movement, that fought so hard for the independence of South Sudan and for the establishment of a nation of South Sudan is the same SPLM that is here today. The same belief you had, the same trust you had in SPLM to lead the, uh, the liberation struggle against Khartoum is the same SPLM we have right now. Have trust in us. Work with us. We will deliver. We will work with you. We will bring in the lasting peace. We've already done it. The I.O. in Juba right now. The Akmachar is in Juba. We have simply, uh, recently you've heard, and uh, we did what was called the integration of forces. It's already taken place. That in itself is but, hope. But, but, but the forces that have been in cantonment sites for uh, deployment have been there for three years without graduation. There are logistical... Would you, call, would you call that progress? Oh, yes. I would call progress in, in, in this manner. 
You see, implementation of, of peace is not a one step. There are so many things which involve logistics, involves consultations with the powers that signed the agreement. There are mechanisms that need to be put in place. And those sometimes get entangled because, remember, these are two parties that have agreed to integrate their forces, to come together and work together. It's not going to be a one person's business at this point. I have to consult with the other side. Are they in position for us to move to step number two? If not yet, we wait. Logistically, do we have all the resources? Do we have the money needed? Do we have the weapons to graduate them? Do we have all the logistical support needed to have these persons receive the correct training in the right time so they can pass out and then form that unified army? So it's a, it's a process. If we have one process, one step taken, definitely it's one step of the 50 steps to come. So that is progress. That's Lado Artema, Secretary General of the Sudan People's Liberation Movement at the U.S. National Secretariat. He spoke with my colleague John Tanza during a South Sudanese conference in the U.S. state of Minnesota. South Sudanese living in Juba, Huawei, and Yambio are expressing different views and feelings about the country's upcoming 11th independence anniversary. South Sudan in Focus reporter Sheila Pony spoke to some of them. I'm called Stanislas Urusan Bernardo. Within the, the 11 years, South Sudan have achieved uh, something because uh, when we started through, uh, during the time of uh, CPA, after right after CPA, we took our independence, which was very, very important because without independence, we could not even talk now about election. So that was the first thing that we had our own independence. And we are called South Sudanese, South Sudan government. That is, that was very good. My name is Wilma Nunu Anthony. Our country achieved something a bit not too full because uh, we as women, we are still suffering because we have children and there is uh, no any job which you can do also to, which can help you to, to pay the school fee of children and to take care of the children. I'm called Anthony Zichir Nduko. I thought that the independence, there are some of the things that we achieved and also there are things that not yet been achieved, which needs also to, to double effort or to improve. Like for instance, after the election or after our independence up to now, we don't have a total peace in our country. We don't have a total peace in our country. This is one of the issues which is really very important so that we need also government to provide the security all over the country. My name is I'm Martin Zegi. I'm a citizen of South Sudan. Our country is a rich country, but what have destroyed it, there are a few things I, I know. One is the issue of conflict. War has spoiled our peace in South Sudan. Two is there is poor management of resources. Most of our civilians are suffering, yet there are few people who are enjoying the cacks. Why? These are the people who go to the produce country. Some are going hungry, fatigued. Others are even running away because of the conflict. And is this the peace that we wanted from the government. My name is Queen Viola and as we look forward to the 11th independence of South Sudan, I want to reckon the fact that we haven't done enough in the country. We still have internal communal conflicts, often triggered by cattle raiding and land grabbing. What I can say is let our leaders put aside all differences and give a chance to peace. We want to enjoy the fruits of our parents' struggle. Let all stakeholders work towards a sustainable peace and security. We were born in war, great 
growing up in war, grew up in war. Let us not let our young generation go through the same thing again. We can't die in war. My name is Ben Kombor, South Sudan after 11 years. Uh, number one, we have gained the independence that we wanted in 2011, but uh, how we have uh, liberated ourselves in terms of the country, but there is more liberation that need, needed right now. Currently, we are also facing a lot of challenges as a country, economics, crisis and security, plus the issues of uh, global. So are we in uh, where we wanted to be? No. There are more that we should do and uh, more government need to do. Uh, but what is more important is that we... Uh, I, I think there is a development, but it's a very slow, uh, very, very slow space. I'm Nait Agnes Kwani. I am a peace ambassador. What I think about South Sudan is South Sudanese citizens, we should start to love each other. We should start to live in harmony, in peace. We should stop perceiving each other. To my country leaders, to our country leaders, in, we are urging you to work on the peace process. All we need for this country is peace. We need peace for the sake of your people, compromise to bring peace home. The children of this country, the women, the youth, the elderly are dying just because we don't have peace in this country. Hello, I'm Joanne Rachel, the Advocacy Coordinator for South Sudan Council of Churches. Today I want to talk about what Independence Day means for me. It is a reminder of the struggles that we have had as a country to bring about peace and dignity for our people. Unfortunately, today we still have a deficit in nationalism and trust among our political leaders. We still have communal violence happening, which is polarized by politics, and it's bringing about a lot of turmoil and pain. Although there is hope among the people, we still need to do more. We have a special announcement for listeners. Join us on Saturday, July 9, for a one-hour special edition of this program hosted live from Juba by my colleague John Tanza from 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Again, that date is Saturday, July the 9th, 2022. And that's all we have for you this Wednesday. Thanks for allowing us into your homes, cars, and on your phones. Join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Thank you.